Let's look at the screen for a second. I know it has been a, whoever you were rooting for last week, I don't, I don't need to know who you're rooting for, but it's been a full week already since the Super Bowl. Anybody grieving? Yes and no, because it's also been the Olympics, which has been great. We're going to talk about that. This is Nick Foles. Okay? He's the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. He was the NFL Super Bowl MVP. Means he had a really, really good game. But it took him a bit to get to that level in his career. Okay? He wasn't always an NFL MVP. In fact, he was drafted right around 2012. Am I, am I correct? Okay, good. I knew somebody would know. He had a great year in 2013. Actually went to a Pro Bowl, and then things started tanking. They started going downhill, and the Eagles, who he was originally drafted by, traded him to the Rams. Didn't do all that great there. Uh, he got traded from there to the Chiefs. Uh, didn't do all that great there, and actually for a while contemplated quitting. Contemplated quitting. After a weekend away, though, decided to come back and be a backup back with Philadelphia. Uh, was the backup for most of the season. And as uh, if you follow football at all, you know the story. The starter went down. Uh, Nick led the team to not only to the Super Bowl, but became the Super Bowl MVP. So his hardest of times, his lowest of lows, became his highest of highs. And sometimes our greatest losses, our greatest challenges become our greatest victories, our greatest successes. Raise your hand if you watched any of the Olympics yet. Okay, a few of you. Very good. Abby and I have said multiple times in the last three days, we just want to quit life for the next two weeks and watch the Olympics. Can anybody relate? No. Uh, okay. Thank you, Steve and Cindy. We're going to quit live and watch this, the Olympics together. One of the, the best things about watching the Olympics is you get to hear the stories. You get to hear the, the sentimental stories of people who struggled and then ended up on top. You see this. This is Lindsey Vaughn, obviously a skier. Uh, 2010, she was a gold medalist. And then for the last eight years, whatever success she's had has been countered with injuries. She's had knee surgeries, broken bones, concussions, all sorts of things. And yet, here again this year, she is a contender. Sometimes our hardest times become our sweetest moments. Sometimes our hardest times become our sweetest moments. Now, do we have any NFL caliber quarterbacks in here? <laughs> Couch quarterback doesn't count, but thank you for playing. Do we have any Olympic caliber skiers? None. So is it, is it true of us also that sometimes our hardest of times might lead us to the best of times, that our lowest of lows might lead us to the highest of highs? Well, let's take a different route. Let's, let's talk about something we can relate to. Parenting. For 18 to 21 years, parents pour their lives into their kids. They, they order their entire lives around them. They're, they become friends with their kids' friends' parents. They spend countless hours at sports events. They spend countless trips to the store, countless trips to the ER. They do everything. Their lives revolve around their children, but then something crazy happens. The kids grow up. Aside from the five that said amen, there are other parents who this becomes their greatest loss. 
This becomes their hardest times when there's no more snacks to make after school, no more trips to soccer practice, no more sleepovers that they can get out extra sleeping bag for, when it seems like all purpose as a parent is gone for the other parents, this is a huge loss. But it also has the potential to become a great win. How? Grandkids. Some grandparents say amen. Okay, am I just, am I just off this morning? I sat with somebody, I honestly don't remember who it was, in the last month or so, and they, they looked at me straight in the face. They said, James, being a grandparent is so much better than being a parent. Boy, we, we grieved when our kids left, but it is fantastic, this side of things. We, we need to figure out how to have grandparents reverse it. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. we got to have our lowest of lows first before we can get to our highest of highs. Okay, we're, we're jumping into here. I think we got to... We've been in a three-week study, a three-week series. We're in week three of a series looking at the life of Jacob. We've, we've titled the series, The Story of Jacob, The Story of Us. And we've been seeing how Jacob's life really does tie in with our life. Week one, we saw three words that really rose to the top describing his life. Barren, broken, and blessed. And we talked about how in some form, each of those fit with us. Now, last week, we looked at Jacob's faith story, and we got to see how this guy who was one of the greats, you know, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacobs, one of the greats, did not just have this mountaintop experience and then stay close to God the rest of his life. He had this mountaintop experience and then spent the rest of his life trying to figure out what it meant to follow God. It was at the end of his life where he finally said, all my days God has been with me. In a lot of ways, this relates to us as well. Most of us wrestle. We have these experiences with God, and then we question, we doubt, we grow, we go backwards. And yet God is there in the process of it. So we got to, once again last week, see that Jacob's story really is our story. This morning we see it continue to play out. And we get to see how sometimes our greatest losses turn into our greatest wins. Before we jump in, let me pray one more time for our time in the Word. Lord God, you've given us your story, um, not just as a rule book, uh, but as a way for us to get to know you and for us to get to know how to live in relationship with you. And I thank you for that. I thank you for characters like Jacob in the story who we can relate to. And I pray that this morning uh, we would be able to do that well. Through looking at Jacob, uh, we would be able to see how we fit into your continued story. So give us ears to hear what you have to say this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So sometimes our greatest losses turn into our greatest wins. Now, there are several stages in Jacob's life that you could say were low points. Okay? You look at his relationship with his brother. Deep down inside, every brother wants to have a good relationship with his brother. If there's two of them, okay, or three or four, he wants to get along with them. Jacob didn't. Jacob and Esau, we saw, we saw lying, we saw trickery, we saw you know, a, a murder or a murderous plot. It wasn't good. We could say that was a low in Jacob's life. We could talk about another low when Jacob woke up on the day after his wedding next to somebody who he wasn't anticipating. That led to uh, eventually three other wives and a headache or two or 
three or four throughout the rest of his married life. Definitely a low point. Now, we could talk about how he had to lie and steal to get his father's approval and his father's affirmation. We could talk about the decades he spent away from his homeland. We could talk about how he lost his favorite wife in childbirth. All these things would be considered lows in Jacob's life, but none of them would have been the lowest of lows. And I think the lowest of lows for Jacob was when he lost his son, Joseph. When Joseph died... Okay? If you know the story, you know the ending, but, but listen to it as if you don't. Okay? And if you've never heard the story, allow me to tell it to you. Jacob, through his different wives, had 12 sons, at least one daughter, probably more than that. Joseph, and I'm going to call him Joe several times throughout the service, so if I say that, that's what I'm talking about. Joseph was son number 11. He was the firstborn son of his favorite wife, Rachel. Listen to how Scripture describes uh, Jacob's feelings for Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, verse 3 and 4 says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe or a coat of many colors. So that's how his dad felt about him. Let's look at his siblings. Verse 4, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They could not say a kind word about him. So we get Joe. He's a favorite of dad's, but a least favorite amongst the brothers. He starts to grow up at age 17. He starts having these dreams, dreams that had his brothers and parents bowing down to him. Joseph just figured, why not share them? So he started sharing them with his brothers, and he started sharing them with his parents. Nobody was really thrilled to hear that, but at least his dad pondered it. Chapter 37, verse 11 said, but while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. You guys following the story so far? Joseph is a favorite. He's the most loved, and yet he's the most hated. Now, even though, Joseph, even though Jacob didn't love the other brothers as much, he still cared enough for them to check on them when they were out in the fields. And we know the story. One day, Jacob sent Joseph out into the fields to check on his brothers. This is chapter 37, verse 14. Jacob said, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, and then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent Joseph on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. For the geography buff, that's about a 65-mile walk. That's quite a while for Joseph to, to sit there and think, well, I wonder how my brothers are going to welcome me after all the things I've been sharing with them. Well, the brothers saw him coming a ways off, and wouldn't you know it, they weren't very excited to see him. In fact, they devised a plan as to what they were going to do. Verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Now, luckily, one of the brothers, Reuben, convinced the other brothers not to kill Joseph. And he had this plan to, to come back later. They were going to throw him in a well, come back later, get Joseph out, send him back to his dad. Well, the plan not to kill him worked, but the plan to come back later and save him didn't. Because while Reuben was away, uh, the brothers took Joseph out and sold him to slavery. So initially, human trafficking wasn't in the plan, but deceiving the father was. 
which they did. We see this in verse 31 and 32 of the same chapter. So then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Okay, put yourself in Jacob's sandals. We, we know the end of the story, but put yourself in his sandals now. He sees the blood-soaked jacket, immediately recognizes it as his son. The other sons ask this leading question, or the messenger that they sent asks this leading question, which takes Jacob to the natural conclusion. His favorite son is dead. He's dead. Now, I personally have never lost a child. I know quite a few of you have. Some of my relatives have. Many of you know the story of the Free Methodist Bishop, Matt Thomas. Matt Thomas and his wife, Marlene, had three sons. Uh, Some of you saw them growing up. Their youngest son, Mitch, passed away in his 20s from leukemia. This is one of the lowest times in Matt and Marlene's life. They would tell you that. Now, even though they have the assurance that that they'll see Mitch again, he's going to be in heaven with them, it is still not easy for them. I miss him in quite a few years since this has happened, and every time I hear Matt speak, he still brings up Mitch. The lowest of lows. Their boy died. Now, back in our story, that is all that Jacob knew. His son had died. And listen to, listen to his response. Chapter 37, verse 33 to 35. says that he identified the robe, and he said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments, and he put sackcloth on his loins, and he mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. You see his response? I mean, a traditional, customary response of, of clothes being torn, but it goes deeper than just a t-shirt being torn, okay? We get the next part. Sackcloth is worn all over his skin. This is the outer, ever-present reminder of the inner pain that Jacob is feeling in the loss of his son. So you get clothes torn, sackcloth worn, and then he mourns for many, many, many days. In the Hebrew Bible, this is the first time the word to mourn is used. There's once before where a word similar is used, but it means to lament. This word mourn has an unexplainable depth to it. It's the depth that when the nation of Israel realized that their king Josiah had died, they all mourned. They did the same for Moses. Mourning goes beyond simple sadness. It goes beyond tears shed at a funeral. It's almost a crushing weight that just weighs on people. Many of you have lost loved ones, and you know what I'm talking about. So you know what it feels like to mourn. Jacob tore his clothes. 
He put on sackcloth. He mourned. And even those who had committed the atrocity of deception tried to rise up to comfort him. Even his sons and their wives and other sisters tried to bring Jacob out of this depth of pain that he was in, but it wouldn't work. He said, I'm going to go down to Sheol, to my grave, mourning for my son. This is part of the lowest of lows that Jacob is going through, but this isn't the only part. There's two other key parts that just add to this. The first is the relationship with the other boys, the other 11 sons, or at least the other 10 sons that, uh, that are part of this. You notice in, in the text, it said they sent the coat to their dad. So they may not have even shown up with it. We don't know for sure, but they may not have shown up. But the words they used to pass on the message, they said, Dad, isn't, isn't this, this robe your son's? They didn't say, isn't it our brothers? It's our, your sons. So they were already starting to separate themselves from their dad. Let that sink in, okay? You got your favorite son dead, and now the rest of your kids are starting to pull away. And it gets worse. It gets worse. You look at the language that Jacob uses when he talks about his son and, and the type of death that he, that he, that he uh, encountered. It said he was ripped apart by a fierce animal. The Hebrew says by an evil beast. This is very specific language. And it would have brought up images, conjured up images of what that culture knew to be one of four ways that God would punish people. Okay? One of four ways that that culture believed that God would punish people who really needed to be punished. One of those ways was by evil beasts. One was by famine. One was by war or the sword. And one was by pestilence. We see God say this in Ezekiel chapter 5. He said, I will shower you with deadly arrows of famine to destroy you. The famine will become more and more severe until every crumb of food is gone. And along with the famine, wild animals or evil beasts will attack you and rob you of your children. Disease and war will stalk your land, and I will bring the sword of the enemy against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, I believe that when Jacob said an evil beast has devoured my son, he was questioning whether or not God was punishing him for the life he had lived growing up. If those four things were what God used to punish people who really needed punishment, and that's how his son died, he had to have thought, oh, is this my fault? So he's in the lowest of lows at this point. A dead son, ten other sons retreating from relationship, the potential that Joseph's death was God's punishment for Jacob's past sins. This was the lowest of lows, and it continued for quite a while. Quite a while. In fact, time moved on. 23 years passed. Somehow Jacob kept living. Except I picture him living in this fog, what the author of the book of the shack calls the great sadness. I picture Jacob in that great sadness, somehow getting up every morning, somehow eating, somehow managing to make it through the day and yet go to bed at night, just kind of surviving. For 23 years, and then a famine hits. At that point, Jacob's head has to be reeling. It has to be spinning. God, is this more of you punishing me for what I did growing up? 
The famine hits, and Jacob is forced to send his sons to Egypt to get food. Jacob's dad and Jacob's granddad had a history with famine and Egypt, so Jacob wouldn't have wanted to send his boys down there, and yet he did, so that they could get food to help the family survive. Ten sons went, nine sons came back. And their report was this, there was a very mean Egyptian ruler who called us spies. And he asked questions about our dad, and he asked questions about other siblings, and he told us that in order to prove for us that, that we're not spies, we had to leave somebody, one of our brothers in jail, and we had to come back, and we had to get our youngest son, and we had to take him back to prove that. It did not go over well with Jacob. In fact, Jacob in chapter 42, verse 36, he exclaimed, You are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin too? Everything is going against me. Everything is going against me. This deep sadness continued one verse later in verse 38. Jacob replied, My son Benjamin will not go down to Egypt with you. His brother Joseph is dead, and he is all I have left. Whew. If anything else should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving white-haired man to the grave. Lowest of lows. Of course, the food that was bought from Egypt eventually starts running out, and the sons do convince Jacob to send Benjamin back with them so they can buy more food. And the last thing that Jacob told the boys was this, chapter 43, verse 14. He said, May God Almighty, may El Shaddai give you mercy as you go before the man, this mean Egyptian ruler, so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. If I must lose my children, so be it. Can you picture where he's at emotionally? I mean, can you feel that? He's sitting there now with all the boys gone in the quiet emptiness. No boys running around the tents. He didn't know what was going to happen. He was at that lowest point. So the ten sons now with Benjamin arrive in Egypt and they go before this mean Egyptian ruler and Reuben speaks up. He says to the ruler, he says this, let me tell you where my dad is at right now. He says, my father said to us, this is chapter 44, verse 27, my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. And I've never seen him since. So now if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you will send this grieving white-haired man to the grave. And again, we're seeing 23 years worth of the great sadness. He's got nothing left according to him. I mean, 10 other sons and grandkids and wives and all. You know, he's got nothing left. This is where he's at emotionally. Sometimes our lowest of lows turn into our highest of highs. Of course, if you know the story, you know that pretty quick after the boys step before this evil, this mean Egyptian ruler, this mean Egyptian ruler reveals himself as Joseph. Guys, I'm your brother. 
I'm your brother. What you meant for harm, God intended for good. Go back and tell dad what you've seen. Tell dad you need to move to Egypt because there's five more years of famine. I'm going to take care of you guys. I'm going to give you this land that's going to be plentiful. You have to come. So the boys, they went back to dad. They rushed back to dad. And I love this because they, uh, <laughs> the response of Jacob is so uh, is classic. The boys go back. This is chapter 44, verse 26. They say to him, Joseph is still alive. 23 years of thinking he was dead. 23 years. Joseph is still alive. He's the governor of all the land of Egypt. Joseph was stunned at the news, and he couldn't believe it. Uh, Jacob was stunned at the news, and he couldn't believe it. But when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits revived. The spirits revived, and then Jacob exclaimed, I must go to my son. I, he's alive. I must, it must be true. I must go and see him before I die. I mean, from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs, I can't even imagine what Jacob was going through. Stunned disbelief, having to see the wagons that were there in order to believe it. And then did you catch what it said about his spirits? They revived. The word here used for revived means to bring back to life, to come alive, to be given life, to be saved, spared, or recovered. Emotionally dead for 23 years, and all of a sudden he's back alive again and saying, I've got to go visit my son. Now you'd think that was the highest of highs, but it gets even better. On his way to Egypt, God meets with him. If you remember from last week, we thought that there could have been about a 40-year stretch where God did not communicate with Jacob. And now, you know, part of that 23 years of great sadness, now they're on their way to, to Egypt, and God meets with them. And he says, you know what, it's going to be fine. You go ahead and go down there. I'm sure he was wondering, Jacob, should he go, looking at his dad and his granddad's experience down there. But God says, go. When he gets there, Joseph invites him to the White House. Right? Come, come visit the, the Pharaoh. Come, come see him. Come interact with him. And he goes and he sees Pharaoh. This is chapter 47, verse 7 to 10. Pharaoh, uh, Jacob blesses him, and, and Pharaoh says, Wow, how old are you? And then he says, I've lived 130 hard years. Hard years. And he blessed him again. So he blessed Pharaoh twice. Jacob goes from sitting in a tent by himself, wondering whether or not he's going to have any sons ever again, to sitting in Pharaoh's castle with his, his sons and grandsons and all the, all the grandkids and wives. And, and now he's got a place to live where there'll be food and there'll be security and there'll be, there'll be safety. The highest of highs. What was Jacob's greatest loss in losing his son turned into the highest of highs, not just for him, but for, the, but for his family and for the nation of Egypt and surrounding countries who were saved because of Joseph's good work. I bet if we were to ask Jacob, if, if he were here and we were to say to him, hey, man, give me the high points of your life, I bet he would say, no doubt about it, the last 17 years of my life were the best. Because those were the highest parts after coming out of the lowest parts. Sometimes our lowest of lows turn into our highest of highs. 
Sometimes our greatest challenges become our greatest rewards. Sometimes our greatest losses turn into our greatest wins. Now, I want to be candid with you, First Church. I've struggled this week on how to make sure this message doesn't come across as cliché. And how to make sure it doesn't come across as a, a greeting card type of message. Because it is something Hallmark would write, right? you got to go through the lows to get through the highs. I've wrestled with, you know, because knowing some of the stories of the people who are in here, I've wrestled with making sure it is not cliche. I never want to give platitudes for people who are going through hard times. Never want to do that. So I've wrestled with this. And what I came down to was this. I simply need to share some stories of people in here who have lived the truth of this message. They've lived the lowest of lows and are on the highest of highs. I've asked permission for all four of these families if I could share these stories. Okay? This morning, I think of Scott and Jerry Duco, okay, and Courtney. You guys got tissue? <laughs> August 11th, or August 6th, excuse me, 2011. Courtney graduated from high school. I mean, she had, uh, med school was in the works, uh, undergrad, and then med school, there was a plan. And, and the family was going in the right direction. Everything was going right where every, everybody was planning on. And August 6th. Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. I remember parts of that night because I spent, I spent that evening with them. The family remembers every detail. This was one of the hardest times in their lives. But what happened? Mackenzie happened. Mackenzie happened. God brought Mackenzie, who is the highest point for Nana and Papa. This is a highlight for Courtney and RJ. From their lowest of lows came the highest of highs. I think of John and Heidi Spots, who are downstairs teaching children's church. If you don't know their story, years and years ago, they couldn't have kids. And they tried, and they tried, and they tried, and it was hard on them relationally as a couple. It was very, very challenging. They ended up going the route of adoption. And as sometimes happened, as soon as they, they got their daughter that was going to be adopted, they found out they were pregnant. So we had Kylie, and then Malia, and then Silas. One of my greatest joys on a Wednesday night is seeing John or Heidi pick up their kids and seeing all three kids come running out and the smile on John and Heidi's faces. From the hardest of times came their greatest of rewards. I think of Doug and Heather. I sat down, down with them this past week. They had two kids of their own already, okay? Bailey and Sawyer, great kids, great kids. But they sensed God saying, you need to foster adopt. Man, talk about a calling. They made sure they heard it was from God, and, and so they pursued that. They went through the classes, they, they got approved, they got their house approved, they got licensed, and they knew that there was hundreds of, of foster adoptable kids in the state. And they figured in that first week after getting approved, they were going to get the call. Well, the first week came and went. The second week came and went. The weeks turned into a month, which turned into two months, which turned into six months, and they didn't get the call. Doug told me this last week, he said, James, I... I questioned whether or not I'd heard God correctly. In fact, I gave up on having a foster kid. I thought maybe God just told us we should be ready so that we can support other people who are going through this process. And then eternity came. 
Next, oh, this coming Friday, actually, <laughs> they get to adopt this little girl. They get to make this little girl their own. They're going to throw a party where all their friends are and, and, and family are invited. You guys are invited too. If you don't know about it, come and talk to them after the service. And the next Sunday morning, we are going to not do a baby dedication, a toddler dedication where we officially dedicate their daughter to the Lord. I worked with Heather, and I got to see the six months of struggle, the six months of hardship. I get to see the reward also. One more story. November of 2014, Abby's dad died. It had been a hard year health-wise, but this was unexpected. Now, I got to walk through this with the family, not just as the pastor, but as the son-in-law and as the husband. Abby would tell you herself, this is one of the greatest losses, if not the greatest loss she has ever experienced. The pain of loss is never going to be gone, but some of the greatest reward has come from it. She would tell you that without her earthly father to depend on, she needed to learn to trust her heavenly father in a different type of way, to be her provider, to be her comforter. She would tell you that though her, her walk growing up was a solid Christian walk, it is at a different depth and a different level and a different power now than it was before. And it was out of the pain that that came. Sometimes our greatest losses become our greatest rewards. Now, I could tell you other stories. I'm sure some of you are sitting here listening to this thinking you, you could tell my story. In fact, some of you are thinking you're on this side of it. You're on the greatest rewards part, but some of you are sitting in the middle of the mess right now. You're in the middle of the hardest times, and you're thinking to yourself one of two things. Oh, good, God's going to bring me out of this. Or you're thinking, yeah, it's cliche. I knew he'd stand up there and say, it'll get better. I want to tell you, whatever side you're on, if you're in the pain or you're in the peace, God's with you. God's with you. And one thing I want to make perfectly clear this morning, when I talk about the potential of your greatest losses becoming your greatest rewards, I am not promising easy. I am not promising wealth. I'm not promising restored relationships or perfect health. I'm not even promising that what you've set your heart on, you're going to get. You may not even ever come out of this deep sadness. But I will promise you this. God is with you. God is with you. How do I know? Because Jacob's story is our story. Jacob's story is our story. And at the beginning of his faith walk, God told Jacob this. He said, what's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land and I'll not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. That was at the beginning. Now, as Joseph was on his way down to Egypt, however many years later, 40, 50, 60 years later, God told him this. He says, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation, and I will go with you. Jacob's story is our story. We get that same promise from God. Not just from Genesis, we get it from the mouth of Jesus himself. The very last thing he said as he was ascending to the Father, looked at the disciples and he said, look, all authority has been given to me. Go, make disciples, baptize them 
Teach them my ways. And I promise you this, that I will be with you always. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Sometimes our greatest lows become our greatest highs. And here here it is. If you're in the middle of that greatest low, and if you're struggling to connect with God, and if you're pushing towards God, and maybe it feels like he's he's responding, maybe it doesn't feel like he's responding, but it's drawing you somehow closer. If in your greatest loss you gain Christ, that is the greatest reward you will ever receive. If in your greatest loss you gain Christ, there is no greater reward. So do what Jesus' half-brother James said. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do what the Apostle Paul said. Keep the faith. Run the race. Fight the fight. Even if it doesn't seem like you're going to win, you will receive the prize. Do what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom. And all other things will be given to you. He said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, it will be gained. I know for a fact that we have people sitting in in all stages of this, from the lowest of lows right now to the highest of highs. And I've been wrestling all morning, not just with making it, how, how to make this not cliche, but how to finish this morning. Because I know we're at all stages. And I guess what I want to finish is just with encouragement. Know that God is with you, whether you feel it or not. And in that knowledge, take steps towards him. It's not going to be easy. In fact, it may never be easy. But if you're taking those steps, then your lowest of low will one day become your highest of high. Because Christ will look at you and he'll say, well done. You're home now. You're home now. We may not all be MVP caliber quarterbacks, but the same God that is with Nick Foles is also with us. So let us cling to that. I'm going to invite Tim forward. He's going to play a little bit. We're just going to allow some time to let what's been said and sung and prayed and shared this morning sink in. Uh, As we've done a couple of times in recent weeks, if you want to be prayed for, we're going to have uh, four different people in two different places. We've got to have a pair back there, and we'll have a pair up here. And if more people want to be prayed for, uh, we'll start a group back there. Go ahead, while we're doing uh, this time of reflection, go ahead and go and get prayed for. Uh, we're also going to worship. We're going to uh, take our offering, and we're going to close in a second song after that. So let's allow what God has done this morning, what he's said, uh, how he's been working on your heart to sink in. Lord God, in these next coming moments, I've got to believe that something that happened between 9.31 and now has stood out to somebody. I've got to believe that something you have been trying to, to say to somebody was finally heard and finally understood. And God, we want to give space, even if it's just for that one person, to let you knock and knock and knock and for them to respond. And maybe that response, Lord, simply is, Okay, God, I don't feel it. I don't sense it. I can't see you. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe the promise that you are here. 
And if that's all it is, God, that is a step towards you and that is a win. God, for those who are on the other side, who are experiencing the highest of highs, may their hearts be drawn towards rejoicing in what you have done, but may they not forget where they have come from. And God, through all of this, as a family of faith, would we be able and willing to see those in all stages, to welcome them into our lives and to walk with them? Would we be able to say to them, just like you have said to us, hey, I am with you wherever you are at in this process. So God, in these moments, we ask that you would continue to speak, continue to whisper, continue to grab hearts.
Father, I want to thank you so much for your presence, not just here this morning, but for your presence in our lives. God, as as cliche as it might sound, there is tremendous truth in the fact that you are always with us. There's tremendous truth in the fact that you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, so often it falls on us to be able to see that. God, would you forgive us for when we're not looking? Would you give us the the grace that we need to see your hand moving, even if it's just in very small and, and tiny ways? Would you help us be reminded over and over and over of the truth that you are with us? God, even this coming week, as we encounter things that may not make it to our highest of highs or our lowest of lows lists, but that, that may be somewhere in between, in the middle of it, would you remind us of your presence? God, that is what will give us strength to make it through the day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.